Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hey, I'm Chuck Lawless, and I welcome you to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastor Leadership at Southeastern Seminary. And I'm Caleb Iverson, and we're excited to talk to you guys today about spiritual warfare. Yeah, that's a topic that uh, sometimes evangelicals don't spend a lot of time talking about, Caleb, but I think we have to talk about it. Yeah, to be honest, Dr. Lawless, it's one that I've not really talked about as much either, even in my studies at Southeastern and, you know, listening to sermons from the pulpit, spiritual warfare really is not addressed as much. Not, not much. I started uh, teaching a class at Southern Seminary. This would have been in the late 90s, probably. At the time, there weren't many classes taught on seminary campuses. That's, that's increased over the years, but it was quite unusual, and particularly unusual for Southern Baptists at the time. Again, I think we've, we've recognized the need to talk about it because it's, it's biblical. It's there. The scriptures talk about warfare from the garden to the, to the end, and so we have to, we have to talk about it. Yes, it is certainly there. And, and Dr. Lullis, since you've, you've done your Ph.D. in spiritual warfare, uh, so let's just jump right into the topic. Tell us how that interest developed for you and why you ended up doing a, ultimately a Ph.D. in this topic. Yeah, my Ph.D. was actually in evangelism and church growth, but my dissertation was on the relationship between evangelism and spiritual warfare. And mm. at some point, we need to do a podcast. In fact, I think we planned one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we want to talk about that very issue. But... Let me talk to you a little bit about where that began for me, because my interest really developed long before I considered doing Ph.D. work. And to be honest, Caleb, this is um, th- this is a bit vulnerable for me, mm. but I think it's important enough that pastors hear this, that that my story might help them at at different levels. I was I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, my parents were were not believers. And my dad was uh, he was a man with a strong temper, uh, a temper that would just erupt at times. And he had this unique ability to erupt, to blow a gasket, and then get beyond it as if nothing ever happened. In fact, I remember my, my first memory as a child. I was three years old, and I'm 62 right now, so this was a long time ago. I remember this as if it happened yesterday. It wow, was that yeah. dramatic for me. My my dad got angry at my at my mom uh, for she went to the grocery store. She didn't get back in the time that he thought she should get back, and he pretty much obliterated our house. Uh, I can to this day walk you through our home and show you in the in the living room where he's knocked the pictures off the mantel, where he's knocked the lamps off the the table and then into the into the dining room where he's overturned the chairs uh, into the kitchen where he slammed the kitchen door so hard that it broke the window pane out of it mm. and I can walk you past the bathroom on the right up the steps into the bedroom to the right where when my mom came home she sat between my sister and me all three of us crying and and shaking in a little bit of fear and that's that's one of memories that I have like that. Uh, and when I grew up, as I was growing up, in many ways I lived in, I lived in fear of my dad. 
when I got old enough to defend myself, I my emotions moved from fear to hatred. To be really mm-hmm. honest, mm-hmm. in my in my teen years, uh, but but here was the struggle. I became a Christian at at age thirteen, and my church taught me pretty much. They didn't teach this intentionally, but the impression they left was this: you become a Christian, and now everything's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Every everything's you're always smiling. Everything's great in your head and in your mind and in your heart and. And I heard that, and yet I knew what was going on in my own heart with regard to my, my dad. I knew I needed to love him, and I didn't, I didn't know how. I, I didn't know how to forgive. I didn't know how to forget. I didn't know how to respond to him. And, and then the Lord called me to, to preach, and it just got worse. It got worse in the sense that I knew the Lord had called me. I knew the Lord opened up a door for me to start pastoring, uh, I started pastoring at age 20, and I think we've talked about that in, in the previous podcast, but I started pastoring early, all the while knowing that I needed to feel differently toward my dad, or at least need to figure out what mm. it meant to love him. Yeah. And I didn't, know, I didn't know how to do that. I tried my best to show love toward him, and I never missed his birthday. I never missed Father's Day. I always called him, sent him a card. I tried hard to do that, even when I would call him. This is back in the days we didn't have cell phones. I, I would call hoping that I would just get the answering machine uh, because I, I didn't know that I was ready to talk to him. Mm. But I knew, I knew it wasn't right. I married when I was 30, and I married a young lady whose family was like heaven. It was, mm. it was just so different. Mm-hmm. She adored her parents, Pam, uh, lived with her parents actually until the day we got married. And, uh, they just they just loved each other. They were close knit, and I'd never seen anything like that. So now I had the comparison of this is what I grew up with. This is what she grew up with. I knew I knew I had to do something with my emotions toward my dad. I would we'd go home for Christmas, and Pam will tell you that I would get I would get nauseated. I'd get sick to my stomach knowing I would. I'd have to see my dad. Well, there's, a, there's a great end to this story. So let me, just, let me say that while I'm thinking about it. There really is a great end that I hope to get to in this podcast. But I just wrestled. Mm. I just wrestled. My, my wife wanted me to, to learn how to love my dad better. I prayed about it. I still struggled. I just didn't know what to do with it. And then, then what happened one day is I was reading through the scriptures, and I read for not just the first time by any means, but probably the first time that I was ready to hear it like this. I was reading Ephesians 6, Mm, and I read these words. This is verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Mm. And I don't know, I don't know what happened on that day, but but uh, the Lord just took those words and drilled them into my heart, and the Spirit just helped me to see them. Look, your dad is not your enemy. Your dad is not the problem. I was honestly, Caleb, I was mad at my mom for staying with him. I didn't, I could not figure out why she would do that after years of anguish, and yet she did. She did, and the Lord just redeemed their their marriage, uh, ultimately. But my mom wasn't the enemy either. And when I recognize that, my wife will tell you that something something clicked in my heart. Something changed. It didn't mean that I 
immediately loved my dad differently. It didn't mean that I didn't have moments where I would I would remember something and the the pain was still there in some ways. But it did mean I could pray differently. Mm. It did mean I could hope differently. It did mean I could respond differently to him. I could listen to him differently when we were talking. I could talk differently with him because he wasn't the he wasn't the enemy anymore. And this text reminded me, no, there's there's another enemy. There's a supernatural enemy who wanted to keep me in bondage and bitterness and anger and frustration and unforgiveness. But wearing the full armor of God hmm. through the shed blood of Christ, I could I could live in victory. And that that was the beginning of my study. It was it was later on in my PhD work that I broadened this to say, or what does the entirety of the Bible say about spiritual warfare? But it really began there with mm. a with a personal story. And that's a long long answer to your question, but I think it's important for our listeners to hear that because I suspect we have listeners who are wrestling with similar issues. Yeah, and I love that. Like, first, I just thank you for your vulnerability and your honesty, and you know, praise God for the way that His grace has even worked through those hard circumstances. Um, I, what I think one, one thing that's really helpful for listeners, especially me as I'm thinking about pastoral ministry, is when we think about spiritual warfare, we often think of this far-off, unseen thing that's really unrecognizable. You know, I, I think for myself, I would say, yes, I believe in spiritual warfare, but if I look at how I live my daily life, I don't live as if that's a true reality. Mm-hmm. And I think your story is just a helpful reminder that even just in the daily interactions of life, in our personal struggles and ministry and other things that we're facing, that spiritual warfare really is a real component of that. Yeah, and understanding that helps us to helps us to relate to one another, relate to lost people. Yeah. I, I think about this, for example, for the Apostle Paul writing these words from a from a prison, and how easy it would have been him for him to get frustrated and angry toward the jailers, toward those who were at least from the world's eyes, perhaps his, his enemies. But when Paul recognized, no, there's a supernatural enemy, there's another enemy, the jailers weren't the enemy, they were prospects for him. Mm-hmm. He saw them as people who needed Jesus. And so he could he could sing and pray at the midnight hour and ultimately lead jailers and their families to the to the Lord because he recognized they weren't the they weren't the enemy. And so it changed even how I relate to trying to reach my neighbors and the nations. Mm. So maybe draw that out a little bit more as we think about what are some practical things that we can do. I mean, you know, there's kind of two streams of thought there. One is to find a devil behind every bush, you yes. know, and the other side is, you know, kind of what I was mentioning earlier to say, ah, you know, that's there, but this is, we understand, we have, you know, science, we can diagnose, this is a this is a condition or other things. So how do we recognize this, and what does this look like in our daily life? Yeah, it's a great question, and you you get it right. C.S. Lewis told us years ago in the, in the preface to Screwtape Letters that, that what happens quite often is we go one of two directions with regard to the demonic. We either get fascinated with them or we ignore them. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's happened for evangelicals, uh, realistically, is for years we pretty much ignored them. We, we were afraid of tackling topics that we thought would take us in the direction of the charismatic, Pentecostal mm. movement, so we just we just pushed it to the to the side. And then I argue that one of the things that really helped us to think about those issues was Frank Peretti's novels uh, that he wrote uh, in the 
in the 80s hmm. uh, that he wrote as fiction, but they became so popular that even evangelicals began to read them. And one of the problems with that was that they took what he wrote as fiction and determined them to be truth, mm-hmm. uh, to be nonfiction. That, that wasn't helpful, but at least what those writings did is, it, is they pushed us to think about what does the Bible say about those things. Then when that happened, as, as evangelicals began to at least think about those issues, uh, as is often the case, we, we in many ways swung the pendulum too far the other direction. We, we really did tend to find demons behind every rock, demons behind every cause, or demons the cause behind everything that we were facing. And honestly, Caleb, I get that because I think about folks that, that I dealt with in the, in the early 90s, middle 90s, as I was moving into my PhD work and really studying this more. Folks who had, who had dealt with sin issues, mm-hmm. sometimes for decades, and they had sought answer after answer after answer and talked to person after person after person and wanted to live in victory. And yet somehow the, 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 the tentacles, the claws of that sin just, just clung to them. And they wanted, they wanted to experience true victory. And then suddenly there are people writing about, well, maybe the issue here is you have a demon, a demon of, of lust or a demon of pride mm-hmm. or, yeah. or a demon of bitterness. And the, those demons are just dominating your life. And so if you, want to, if you want to really live in victory, we have to identify the demon and if not cast the demon out through an exorcism, at least pray against the oppression of the demon that is now haunting your life. And I really do, I really do understand that. If, I, if I've been living in defeat for a lot of years and suddenly somebody says, this is what God is showing us and here's the hope you have, I understand why people would go to, to spiritual warfare conferences. They would, they would seek spiritual warfare counselors. They would, they would seek victory. Um, and so I get it why we would, we would tend to see demons behind everything because maybe if we can identify the demon, that allows us to, to deal with the problem. But the demons, Satan, his forces, they're but one of the enemies that we face. Mm, Ephesians yep, 2 reminds yep. us that we, we wrestle against our own flesh, mm-hmm. against the world, and against the, the devil, the prince of the power of the air. Our flesh is our biggest problem. We're facing all three of those enemies. But how do we know what's spiritual warfare, what's the world, and what's What's our flesh? Honestly, I don't know that we always know. Hmm. Uh, I agree with Clint Arnold, uh, who is a, a brilliant New Testament scholar writing about spiritual warfare, about principalities and powers. He argues that sometimes our three enemies are so intertwined that you really can't recognize what's what. And I think that's helpful to me in, in this sense, that it seems to me that in many cases, regardless of the origin of the struggle— our response is to be the same. If, if the struggle is my flesh, what am I to do? I'm to turn to God. I'm to submit to God, resist the devil, turn from my sin, and mm. trust, trust the Redeemer. If it's the world trying to draw me into sin, what's my responsibility? It's to submit to God, resist the devil, turn from my sin, and trust God. What if it's, what if it's the devil? What's my responsibility? It is to submit to God, resist the devil, repent of my wrong, and lean on God. The response, it seems to me, 
is the is the same regardless of the origin. Yeah, and that's super helpful. I think our church right now is going through Hebrews, and so you know the first mm. part of Hebrews is Jesus is superior than the angels. That's right. And the idea, well, what are demons? Well, they're they're fallen angels that have been led astray and, and deceived, and now are rebelling against God and His will. At, but angels are created beings, and we have a Savior. I think of, I think it's Colossians two, where He's put them to open shame and triumphed over the different rulers and powers and authorities. And so, you know, I, I appreciate you drawing that out. What's our response? It is stand firm in the faith, look to Christ, turn from sin, and trust and find refuge in Him. Uh, Dr. Lawless, what what advice would you give to pastors then, as they're seeking to shepherd their flock? They're maybe recognizing the struggles, sin patterns in their congregation, or even maybe struggles and temptations in their own lives. What advice would you give to them in regards to spiritual warfare and in this battle that we're in? Yeah, a few things. I think as we exposit the Word, we're just preaching through the Scriptures. We need to not neglect this topic. Hmm. Sometimes it's easy to just point it out and move on because it's, it can be controversial. It's outside our worldview. And sometimes we can just point out there's a devil and not deal with, right? How does the devil tempt? What are the schemes of the enemy? I think we have to at least deal with the topic when the scriptures bring them to light. We have to help people see exactly what, what I learned in Ephesians 6, that uh, this, this affects how I relate to people that I perceive to be my enemy or a problem in my life. So we, we help people see the text and understand the text as we get there. Usually that means deeper study. It might mean talking with others who, who have studied this even before us. Um, we can help, too, if folks want to, to email us, and I can certainly recommend some resources that could be, that could be helpful. So I think, I think it starts there. I think, too, we need to recognize as pastors that the enemy is coming after us. Hmm. I tell our students that you accept God's call on your life and you put a bullseye on your back for yep. the enemy because the, the enemy knows if he can mow us down, when we fall, others fall with us. Mm-hmm. In some cases, there are folks just watching for somebody to fall to grant them permission to ignore the, the gospel. There are others who are just so disappointed by the fall of people they trust that they don't know what to do with that. And so their, their confidence in the people of God gets, gets shaken. And consequently, their confidence in God gets, gets shaken. The enemy wants to come after our homes. He wants to come after our families, after our marriages. That's not new. In, in Genesis 3, sin enters the garden and Adam turns on Eve, this woman you gave me. He ultimately blames God, but he blames Eve as well, that, that she's the problem. In Genesis 2, she's a unique gift of God to him. In Genesis 3, she's part of the problem. Mm. The difference is a snake that got into the story. Sin enters. So we have to work hard at guarding our homes, guarding our families. We have to be honest with somebody about our, our personal struggles. Mm. I, I think about it this way. If we want to know where the enemy is really working in our lives— what are, what are we covering up? Where, where are the hidden struggles? There's a reason that James tells us to confess our sin one to another, and, and that is that confession handled rightly helps us to bring our issues out of the darkness mm. and into the light in such a way that we're no longer carrying the burden and fighting the battle by ourselves. 
God never designed us to fight spiritual battles by ourselves. And as pastors, we have to seek the Lord and find brothers in Christ who can walk beside us, who can love us, who can pick us up when we fall, who can read our eyeballs when we're not telling the truth, and who can confront us when when necessary. We need all of those things in our life if we want to walk in victory. Yeah, that is that is so helpful. You think about, I think even just my own personal struggles or looking at other brothers that I'm you know, journeying with, and yeah, the temptation with sin is to hide it. The temptation is to let, you know, Light doesn't want to, darkness want, doesn't want to be shown on with light. That's right. and, and so, you know, we want to try to hide these things. The enemy wants to keep us in isolation. And praise God for the beauty of the church and faithful brothers that we can bring those things to light. Um, Dr. Lawless, maybe one final question as we continue to talk about this topic. Is there any hope? Where, where do pastors, where can Christians find hope? Even though we know that we have an enemy that's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to kill and still and destroy Where's our hope? How can we have victory? Yeah, you pointed out Colossians 2, where Jesus broke the back of the enemy through his, through his cross. He disarmed the powers. Hmm. And nowhere in the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, nowhere do you find the devil outside of God's control. He's always on God's leash. Hmm. Now, what, what we don't like is that sometimes God gives him a much longer leash than, than we would prefer. But God is God and we're not, so we just have to trust him. We're already on the winning side. It's the enemy who wants to convince us that we're not. And so we have to keep running back to, we know the end of the story. We know the one who has already gained victory for us. And so we keep leaning into him. We keep trusting him. We keep on our knees. We keep repenting. We keep walking together, locked arm in arm with, with brothers in Christ so that we, we can together find find victory. And there's one other one other element of hope. I said I wanted to tell the rest of the story about my dad and about my mom. Uh, we we began praying for my dad when I became a believer. Even though I really struggled with how to do it, I did I did know I needed to pray that he would become a believer. We prayed for him for 36 years and my dad became a believer at age 71. Wow. So dramatically changed by the gospel that he was just weird the last 3 years of his life. He told us he loved us, he hugged us, things we had never seen, melted by the gospel. Mm. We kept praying for my mom, who at that point was not a, not a believer. We prayed for her for 47 years, and two and a half years or so ago now, I had the privilege of baptizing my mom when she was 79 years old. Wow. She lived only six more months, but I'm telling you, Caleb, the, the gospel just dramatically changed her. And they were six wonderful months having my mom as my mom and as my sister in Christ. And so I remember those stories. I keep a picture in my office of of my mom just after I pulled her up out of the baptismal waters. I keep that there. I have it on my phone. I have a copy in my office to remind me, you know what? We just need to keep on praying because mm-hmm. we really are on the on the winning side. We can't give up when God is our redeemer. That is, praise God for that. And I love that, though we can talk about the complexities of spiritual warfare, the kind of the mysteries of it and the, the things that we struggle with in reality, that the solution is actually pretty simple. It's still the same. It's hope in the gospel, hope in Jesus, stand firm in the faith. And 
man, that's a wonderful encouragement in a world where we see spiritual warfare active, that, yeah, our gospel hope is still the solution. That's good. Thank you, Caleb. I want to thank you, listener, for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. And if you found this conversation helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd also love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope that we've done that with today's conversation. And as always, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.